Hello and welcome to The Point. I'm your host, Jeff Spikes, and I'm excited to, today to talk about some belief-oriented topics. We're going to, this is part two of a three-part series. We started this off talking about motivation, and because motivation is really important when it comes to what our beliefs are. Our, our beliefs, our passions, our values, our standards, all of these things are what create motivation. So today, what we're going to get into in part two is about this idea that not believing something doesn't make it not true. So not believing something doesn't make it not true. Now, the purpose of this share is to look at things from a very high perspective. You know, when we when we look at, when we want to do some self-observation and find some mindfulness, one of the techniques that we would use in mindfulness is to go out of body and go and raise ourselves up in elevation and look down. When we're in business, we do the same thing. We talk about going up to the 30,000 mile view or the 50,000 mile view so we can get a bigger picture because from higher altitude, the earth, we can see a greater surface of the earth. Uh, that's where that analogy comes from. There's a couple other analogies that, that work with that as well, but that's the one I have referenced the most. And if we're, either way, we're talking about going for a higher perspective, looking, getting out of body, off the earth, looking down at ourselves. So if we're, if we're looking at our beliefs and some other things, one of the things I want to do is I want to go up to, I want to go outside of atmosphere. I want to go, I want to go put on a sunsuit and take the sun's perspective, sit in the core of the sun and look, look at things from there, or maybe just another planet or from the moon or from somewhere else. We're going to really look at, and we're going to look at something different. Instead of just looking at the earth's surface, we're going to go to a time frame. We're going to go up to a higher, this higher elevation to, to look at belief systems and how they've changed over the years. And the framework I'm going to use for this is metaphysical. And I'm going to I'm gonna throw out some numbers and some dates and some, well, I'm not going to be real specific about it, but I'm going to put out some times. And I'm going to start talking about someone by the name of Quimby, Phineas Quimby. And I believe it was Phineas P. Quimby. And in the early 1800s, um, he was known for, for bringing some metaphysical ideation into fruition. And he was one of the people who really has been known for starting, um, for, for pioneering some melding of different ideas into what now is new thought. Um, he's not depends on who you who you talk to as far as all of that and <clears throat> i was raised met in a metaphysical world and as a christian scientist and that was mary baker eddy who studied under quimby and there was a time i don't know how i don't think this is very relevant but it's a piece of information that might fit might be important to think about in this context of just because we don't believe something doesn't make it not true now we Mary Baker Eddy was accused at stealing his work and that she came to her work, the work that she did in putting together Christian science into a, uh, she came to that by way of studying with him. And she stated at the time that it certainly 
was part of what stimulated her thought process and her ideas around what was happening, but it wasn't exactly what she was, it, it's not exactly, she didn't take his work and make it hers. It helped stimulate ideas that created the pathway into the work she ended up doing that became Christian Science. So that became, there's other, another woman that studied with her and that became very significant um, and there's other people that came from there as well and you start looking at um, science of mind and a lot of other things that were created at the turn of the of the 19th century that um, and a lot of those churches are still alive today <clears throat> but I, I'm going to take that framework okay without getting into too many specifics and they were pulling information from Plato and from some Hinduism and from like multiple multiple sources not necessarily looking at just Christian theology but they were looking at the miracle that happens through healing. So Quimby was looking at that, and Quimby was noticing that hypnosis would help change people, but not only hypnosis could help people make changes, but that suggestive words could help as well. So he could make suggestions to people. So then you also have this putting suggestion together with the uh, having suggestion with hypnosis, or trans state and how that helps people shift and change and do different things so very compelling and interesting information well <clears throat> if you look today and if you're looking at manifesting a healing like they talk about in the metaphysical world and you talk about today and between Joe Dispenza and the science that the sciences that they're studying and Wim Hof and some of the studies he's done where um, people are actually having brain waves measured and body statistics measured at the time of, of going through healing practices that can help us heal. And they're tracking data that demonstrates what's happening in the brain when we reach the point where we can heal. Well, at some point in the last six months, I... I I don't remember where if it was on the podcast or if it was on a on some other type of I might have been on someone else's show. Um, I we we ended up talking about something really similar and we got into the discussion um, about belief and about faith and if it if it meant that we had more faith or less faith it was like a question of do we does it mean that we have less faith or more faith if we need more scientific evidence. Now, the scientific community has believed in miraculous healings for a very long time. Even after, even with pharmaceuticals coming in, one of the, one of the primary ways of studying pharmaceuticals is, is by giving people a placebo. So they do trials and tests and studies where they give one person the real medication, they give, or they give a handful of people, whatever the, the, the group is, um, or the sampling of people is, <clears throat> and some people get the real thing and some people get the placebo. And there is a factor where people get the placebo and they heal, and it's always been a mystery. It's been somewhat of a mystery as to how does that happen. Well, today, that's being proven. Joe Dispenza went through an, an, uh, an amazing life event that led him to start really wanting to consider this differently, and he's gone down this amazing path, and now um, he can tell you things that we've known all along from a scientific perspective or something that I grew up knowing. So when I was taught as a child, I was taught how to pray 
I, and I was taught to pray in a way that would heal others, myself or others, that wasn't healing anyone in specifics. It was, it was picturing the perfect version of everyone. So if it was a broken bone, it, was picture, it wasn't picturing a broken bone or casting out a broken bone. It was acknowledging the body's ability to heal and the strength of things and that, this, that matter isn't real. That, that's one of the things that they did in Christian science. Is that, and, and actually, I can start skipping across a lot of the different New Thought religions and their origins in the 1800s where one of the key components amongst all of them is, is that it's a matter isn't real. It's, you know, and today, what, uh, eight months ago now, uh, Nobel Prize and, um, you know, in, on the study that said that they've now proven this idea that if a tree falls in the forest and you're not there, that it hasn't happened, right? So it has to be seen for it to happen. And there's, you know, now quantum theory that is proving some things about that even. So it takes something to be realized for it to actually have happened. So um, that's some heavy stuff, man. And so here's here's where I what I want to try and focus on today. And jo- play with me here for a second. Like just roll with this for a second. Let's not get controversial and go too big on this or go too crazy. I'm not wanting to dig into. It doesn't matter what's the truth in this conversation because we're not here to debate or discover or discuss what is the truth. We're not going to sit here and have a religious debate of what's accurate. What we're talking about is what do we believe? And if it's found to be true or not true, that, that that's not necessarily related to whether or not something's actually true. There's a difference between a fact and a belief. And it's okay to have belief. It's okay to have faith. And it's okay because... Even when there's a competing priority or a comp- or competing information, sometimes that is known. Sometimes we can make sense of completely different ideas, something that seems like complete polar opposites that's actually the same, whether it's energetically or something else. So we're going to talk about two things really quick. Now, talking about that, observing this idea of belief and that not believing doesn't make it not true. That not believing that I can heal my body doesn't mean it can't be healed miraculously. Okay? Some people would say that, you're, that my lack of belief, if I don't believe, would keep me from healing. But if somebody else believes it, it might still heal. So it doesn't matter. If it heals, and then if it's the doctor or if it's someone else, but I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago about this idea that if we're talking to the doctors, oftentimes what we find is that we have more belief or faith in the doctor and the prescription and the disease and the diagnosis. We have more belief in the diagnosis of the problem and we wear that as a badge or well or, or whatever. We have more belief in that than we do about the natural ability for the body to heal. Every organ in our body has the ability to heal itself. It's geared under optimal conditions. Our bodies are made in an ideal condition to heal themselves. 
So science is, talks about that. Doctors will, will admit that, all of that. That's clear information between white blood cells or immune systems. If it's ideal, can heal itself. Doesn't mean that we won't overload it with toxins and chemicals and other things and in a way where it can't keep up or viruses or bacteria and, it, and, it, and our bodies don't keep up and we end up sick or something else. But it, so again, just because we might believe that that might also happen, it doesn't mean that our bodies and our organs and our skin and everything else doesn't have the ability to heal itself. We can watch that. I said skin because you can watch your skin heal itself. It might leave a scar, it might not. But you can watch your you can watch the healing process happen. That's our body naturally healing itself. We can help it with a band-aid or a stitch or glue or whatever we whatever's used. But <clears throat> we tend to believe more in the diagnosis or the doctor's words or the fact that they're giving us medication and that those things can fix us or heal us than we do in our body's natural ability. Now, putting intention towards and ideas and beliefs and thoughts and words towards the organs and the parts of our body that can heal goes a long way because that's how we make, that's how we create, that's how we make things happen is with our words. So changing our, our words and how we use them. So we're going to, in the series, we're going to go through four things. I'm going to talk about two of them right now. The first one is decreasing separation. We want to decrease separation from others because community is valuable and important. We want to, we're not meant to be here alone. We're not, we're not, we're not meant to be on an island. doesn't mean there's not people who like to be alone or prefer to be alone or somewhat isolate, but they don't have, they're, they're not necessarily missing from a community. They're just someone that isolates within a community. And that can be okay, but they're still not alone or they wouldn't be there, right? So we want to decrease our separation from truth. <clears throat> we want to become closer to facts and more understanding of facts and clearer on facts, even if we can't understand them. So the other thing is that we want to decrease separation in community, which is kind of the same from others, but specifically communities and the separation in communities and in, in multiple communities is something that we want to decrease that separation. And we want to bring other, we want to bring communities that otherwise might be separate together. And you know, that's, that's here in the United States. That's what we do, right? We're a melting pot and we have a lot of communities that are set aside for that different certain types of people culturally have in that same area, whether it's, you know, Chinatown in San Francisco, Little Italy, you know, that's, those are cultural little, little meccas in an area where, you know, the foods and the culture and everything can be found in that place. And that's beautiful. It's not having the separation of these communities. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't have an area of town where people congregate that love that food and that that's what they do and kind of recreate that culture in that small space. That's something that's been happening for however many years, but we also get to go visit and join each other and, and break bread together and try each other's, try different foods and other things from different cultures. And that's the melting pot idea. So we want our communities to be able to find a, a, a less separation. Now to do this, 
we're going to want to seek common ground. We're going to want to find what we find similar rather than what we find different. We can certainly notice differences, but we want to really look for the similarities. We want to look for a common ground somewhere where we can at least connect on because without that initial connecting spot, then there's nothing else to do. So, and then we want to heal our, and then we want to heal our relationships. So that, that piece of encouraging and seeking this common ground, we're going to talk about on the next segment and, um, healing our relationships. We're going to talk about on the next segment today. What we're really going to talk about is decreasing separation and demonstrating alignment amounts amongst seemingly competing ideas. By doing that, that will do two things, well, or, or one or the other, or both. It can do both. It can settle your spirit by demonstrating alignment, by seeing the alignment and demonstrating alignment amongst seemingly competing ideas. We will have our spirit settled. We'll soulfully feel more calm and more in our skin and more peaceful. And it will also help us find areas for healing. And sometimes it will do one or the other. If we're very separate and bringing, and, and we're very tense, and our emotional frame it's, gets really unresourceful thinking about discrepancies between things and how, like the idea of surrendering to win right so on a battlefield that looks like one thing on in fencing that looks like another in you know it don't matter it's surrender i'm talking about surrender looks different in different scenarios emotional surrender to something we can't control where i can control my behavior so emotional surrender to things that we can't control allows us to focus on the behaviors we can control and we can focus on the behaviors that will give us a result and and so we surrender the result focus on the behaviors and do so in a way that nurtures our soul and gets us motivated and has us feeling good and I like all these things works on it does all the things we can control and then those results naturally come so surrender to win is a big one that it doesn't make sense to a lot of people until you feel it, sense it, experience it, and do it. There's some real funny things that happen in our minds in the primal self in where we're fight, flight, or freeze, and we're, we're in this constant state of awareness, of critical thinking, of looking for something that's out to get us, and looking for anything bad that may happen because we want to circumvent any type of, of hurt, pain, you know the the amygdala, the, the the that lizard brain that I I like to call it the lizard brain, that is is it's absolutely reactive and life or death oriented. We don't need that as much anymore like we did before. There's so we end up creating these fight, flight, or freezes, and we don't necessarily need them for, with our boss, with our spouse, with you know based on what trouble we're going to get into. So our 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 mind, we're going to work towards trying to create that for ourselves when there's not necessarily a need. So we giving, I've talked about it before, giving our critical thinking a job because critical thinking is valuable. 
being able to see in a business environment, being able to see all the potential scenarios of what could affect us negatively so that we can not have those things happen and put stop, stop gaps in place is great. In every coaching relationship I have, in every client I work with, we will at some point in our exchange ask, and some, oftentimes it's more than, it's, a, it's frequent or often, that we will ask, what do you, we'll say, what do you want? What are you, you going to do to get there? And we, we switch over to, now, what's going to stand in your way of getting there? Now, what, what can we deploy to make sure those things don't happen? So that's a great way. You know, another way is a daily practice, if we're in our daily routines, is to make it a conscious effort to look for things that we're getting or not getting and start grading ourselves as to how well we're doing at certain things and whatever our list is. And it could be an attitudinal type of thing that we're worried about without wanting to use negative thoughts or negative words with ourselves or um, wanting to make sure that we do certain daily behaviors that are non-negotiable, make sure that we hit certain nutrition numbers, whatever it is. Um, so we want to hit all of our, we want to, we want to do the things that we say that we're going to do on a regular basis. So if we're decreasing the separation from others and we are demonstrating alignment amongst seemingly competing ideas, if we're showing it ourselves in our life, how things make sense, even when they don't appear to, and that we can actually disagree with someone in, in some cases and both be right. Some topics are so complex and so challenging that trying to make sense of them without a personal connection to an individual is problematic. We end up talking about a lot. We end up in conjecture and talking about a lot of things that don't make sense. I was in a conversation the other day with somebody talking about how a coach that we we know that has coached us and we're in their programs um, had made a lot appearing, right? It appeared. And, but we, that's not what the conversation that came at me was that, man, they made a lot of money and they bought a lot of cars and they've done a lot of investments and they've done all these things. And I stopped, I, was, I stopped and I said, wait a minute. We're, I don't want to go down this road of this discussion. And it was, and, and the question came up, why? And it was, um, and I don't think I was this smooth in how the conversation came about because I, it made me uncomfortable. And I, but the bottom line was, is that we don't know any of those facts. We do know that there's X amount of cars and that he's ordered, he says he's ordered another one, which I believe him. If he says he did, he did. But my point is, is that the fact is, is that somebody said something not that they you know that they that they did something but it it's not proven so the fact is they said it so if i want to go repeat it for me to repeat it accurately i would say oh well they said they right not oh they did this because i don't know that they did this now seems like a weird delineation weird thing to have to worry about but at the end of the day i'm not learning anything by saying well that guy certainly made a lot of money and that guy's certainly spending spending a lot because I don't know what they're spending and not spending. I don't know what type of benefit or reason of why they're buying something. And if it was it a write-off, was it there's there's reasons to buy things that help us not 
pay taxes and benefits our companies or our lives in a way that it's an investment and we get a write-off from it. So we do those things. And maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe it was a lease deal. Maybe it was a whatever. Doesn't matter. It's not our business. What is our business is watching somebody learn and watching somebody experience and express how they are rewarding themselves. And sure, if they're vulnerable enough and open enough to share their business with, oh, well, I did this one on a lease program and this is why. I did this one on a purchase and this is why. And I did this one cash and this is why. This one I financed and this is why. It's none of our business, but there might be really good reasons that we could learn from. And now they're teaching us something entirely different. And now we're learning something on a financial model that we should probably then understand the why because of whatever financial picture was happening with all of the moving parts there. That was the decision that was made from the experts that that's helping that's on their team developing that issue or that developing that strategy. So what's my point there? There's these competing ideas of, well, if we want things, we should buy them and we should do, whoa, 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 whoa. We can watch somebody learn to, and not learn to, we can watch someone demonstrate their process as they practice rewarding themselves with what excites them and what they're passionate about, what drives and fuels their energy and their motivation and keeps them into their daily routines that deliver success. We can follow their example by following by finding our own if it's what they did. But if we start talking about and looking at, well, look at this and look at that, we kind of miss the point because we don't know all the facts and we get off into conjecture quickly. So decreasing separation from others and from truth means really getting clear about things, these things and dropping the stuff, dropping the conjecture, dropping the assumptions, dropping the things we think we know and just sticking with what we know and more, more importantly, get on point with what we want to be learning from our environment. Because it's all feedback. And if I start becoming concerned about, or not even concerned, or wanting to share about, wow, it must be, and they must have, and the blah, 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 blah. I'm now in conjecture, and I'm separating myself from that level of success rather than acknowledging that I have that level of success. So that brings us back to that idea of matter and reality and that is matter real, right? There's in that metaphysical realm, they, they, that the way they got there is by saying that matter is not real, it's temporary. Because it's temporal, it's moldable and malleable. It can be molded and, and, and made malleable by the mind and the way that the mind and the spirit work together. <clears throat> so now they, they say that everybody's like, whoa, that doesn't make sense. But, but if we fast forward and look at the studies of when we're measuring the brain waves and, and, the, and the body statistics, when people are putting themselves in a state of gratitude and then a state of visioning where their body actually heals some form of cancer or other debilitating disease, there's so many things that are out there that we don't even know why they're, why they're diseases. We don't know the cause of so many things. We have a ton of treatments that we're trying and we're learning and we're doing things, but we don't know the cause of everything and we don't know the absolute solution for everything, so we keep putting studies at it. 
So if we start looking at those two things, what's the truth? Well, the truth is, is that our bodies have the ability to heal themselves and how we think and how we speak is critical. How we think, how we speak, and the words we use out of our mouth towards others and internally to ourselves are critical in creating the internal environment that allows us to fall into things that we want or have healings and have healings or other things that and not nothing makes it untrue versus true other than our own experience there's also no shame if there's that other side to it well now if i can't do it that means i'm terrible so if i get an illness and i can't heal myself now there's something wrong with me no that's where we don't know all the answers so those are other ways that we separate ourselves and why having the human experience and having some compassion with each other before we start picking opinions now we can pick opinions on certain really global topics that people are just tearing up and going crazy actually we can have opinions about anything we want but I'm all about I don't have any problem with people having opinions about really global topics and ideas and things and sharing their ideas if as long as they're not imposing them on anyone they're just stating this is my idea this is my fact this is my thought this is what I think is right but really when we want to get down into the into the into the nuts and bolts of it if we want to make positive effect and change it's really important and valuable that we bring it back down to that human experience and stop generalizing and bring it down to the specific experiences if we want to be helpful and useful to, to people around us. So therefore, we want to decrease the separation. And one of the number one things that causes us separation is a lack of alignment between competing ideas that maybe aren't competing at all. They're just opposite sides of a coin. Well, I went to that seminar and I didn't have a healing from this type of cancer. Well, I went to the seminar and I did have a healing. I went to a church revival and I had hands laid on me and I got healed. Next person. I went to the same revival with the same problem and I didn't get healed. That's okay. That doesn't mean anything other than what it means. And we can't do anything about it unless we get into that individual's existence and are supportive to them. And in order to do that, they have to give us permission. Right? So they, pardon me, ultimately would want to, we would want them to give us the permission to join them in their life and support them and help them through whatever they wanted help with. <clears throat> and our job is to grow in understanding and effectiveness and be kind. And connect, right? Reduce separation. So not believing something doesn't make it not true. I hope I've kind of covered that. I'll go a little bit into a couple other things on the next episode about the metaphysics and the background of metaphysics. Um, there are some really interesting things about that that take shape and how things have come to fruition. Um, I will talk right now about something. You know, there's two people in history that shared some really different information. Um, one was Mary Baker Eddy and the other, or they, I'm sorry, they, they studied the same information. One was Mary Baker Eddy, the other one was Ernest Holmes. And 
There was another woman with that I'll, I'll I'm going to talk about on the next um, on the next episode that studied that was with Mary Baker Eddy for quite some time and then left and had her own had her own program as well. Um, she never started a church or a religion, um, but and that's interesting. But I want to talk about this. They studied the Ernest. Let's just take Ernest Holmes on a global level, and this isn't perfect historically, but it's close. Ernest Holmes and Mary Baker Eddy studied basically the same information. Mary Baker Eddy came up with a very specific science, a very specific way. She wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. <clears throat> now, back in those days, everyone can, was considered a cult leader. Well, nobody's saying that the people in the world today that are demonstrating healing for people are cult leaders. I don't think anyone has said Wim Hof is a cult leader. Maybe, maybe. I don't think so. And I don't think anyone's accusing, um, I'm just drawing a blank on his name, Joe Dispenza, um, on that he's a cult leader. They're, they're studying things scientifically, looking for proof as to why some people can heal themselves naturally and others can't, or why they've had experience, they have experienced specific healings and how that's actually working in our brain, in our mind and body. So, <clears throat> but back, uh, 200 years ago, you were considered a cult leader. And if you look it up on in encyclopedias or in Wikipedia or wherever else, you look at some of these names, Phineas Quimby was considered a cult leader. Mary Baker Eddy, depending on who you talk to, will, people will say was a cult leader. Christian science, some people will say it's a cult. Now, Mary Baker Eddy and Ernest Holmes both study the same information. Mary Baker Eddy came up with this science that, can, that some people say is a cult. Um... I wasn't taught that Christian science believed that Jesus Christ wasn't the Son of God. I was taught that he is, and I was a Christian scientist. He had a lot of information out there in the world that talking about Christian science says that's not true. I don't know what the truth is other than what I was taught. Well, I was, you know, so that's what I was taught. Ernest Holmes was taught, learned and studied the same information and was also a theologian and came up with his own version, but he instead of saying here's a specific science and way to heal and way to do the, these things and be in a religion said i believe this information was meant to deliver an epiphany to me here's what i've learned and what i know you study the same information and see what epiphany you have and that has become you know thousands of churches over time and many many churches came out of that type of thinking that started with science of mind and a couple of other people so that influenced that. So we're going to talk about that. But there's another example of how we can look at the same information, come up with two separate ideas. One is study it and play with it and figure it out for yourself and look at how it relates to many, many things and develop your own epiphany and your own understanding. The other says, no, there's a way to do it. You do it this way or you're not doing it the right way. As a matter of fact, that it's a pers almost a prescription. So, which is right? We need to just bring, we just need to shorten the distance and start talking about things in the world that really matter. And what matters is the human connection we have and the compassion we have for each other and the way that we have an opportunity to support each other. And if we can't, whatever we can't agree on, there's some there's some forums and places to work some of that out and some of that's going to be important to work out but as far as this human experience and individuals trying to grow and when we're out there man 
the important thing is to connect with an individual or just shut the hell up. Because we don't know what we don't know until we're there. And if we don't want the experience of stepping into a situation and trying to be helpful with it, then we probably should keep away from having opinions. And that's, that's just an opinion on my side. But not believing something doesn't make it not true. On the next segment, we're going to talk about how believing something doesn't make it true. So, cause, Just because we don't know what we don't know. I'm cutting it there. I'm going to just turn off this recording and turn it back on and kick right back into the next episode because it's a three-part series. So you, it's going to look like I wore the same shirt for three weeks. Have fun, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another amazing episode of The Point with me, Jeff Spikes. The greatest compliment you could give me is liking, loving, and sharing this episode with all your friends. So please, if you're on Spotify, iHeart, or iTunes, leave a five-star rating and review. If you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. Make sure to tag me. I love hearing from you, the listeners of this show. The links for all my social and iTunes are in the show notes. Also, if you'd like to engage with me, in anything related to my coaching, consulting, speaking, or programs, please visit jeffspikes.com for everything you would need to know to engage with me offline. And lastly, thank you for your time, your attention, and your consideration. This is The Point.